active duty service members, veterans, family members, thank you for your service. And thank you for listening to Return to Roots Mildevet Resource Podcast, where we document our shared experiences, stories, and transitioning and reintegrating from the military to the community. Hosted by two transitioning service members, myself, Chris Elder, and my partner in crime, Yonatan Hernandez. For more information, go to mill2vet.com. If you have little ears, ensure you listen to the content before you allow them to listen. And if you are in crisis and homelessness, suicide ideations, or incarceration, dial 211 Courage to Call for assistance. Now, stand by for the sound of freedom. In today's episode, we have the honor to talk with Navy veteran Brandon Carlson, who talks about his transition and reintegration. Enjoy the show. Return to Roots, welcome to the podcast, fam. Today, we're going to have an awesome guest. He got out of the military four years ago. He's now going to school for software development. He has an amazing story from the moment he got out, became an EMS, and now he has a wonderful life and a wonderful family. Without further ado, here's Brandon Carlson. Yeah, so my name is Brandon Carlson. You know, I uh, joined the Navy at 19. I did six years uh, in the Navy, and I got out over on Whidbey Island. Um, my first tour was over in Japan, so it was pretty cool. You know, forward deployed, so I got to travel. You know, I was on, I was on the bottom of Shard. I'm still a little sad that it burned down. Yeah, that was my boat. Love the Bonnie, the Bonnie Dick is what we all call it on the boat. Um, but, you know, I got to visit Australia and things that I never imagined seeing like in my entire life. South Korea, I never imagined going to Tokyo. Like that was the coolest thing. Um, so experiences like that, I can say in the Navy were probably the coolest things I've ever done. Besides being on a giant warship and like watching aircraft land and take off. Um, but outside of that, like, you know, it was, it was a good time I was in for sure. Um Getting out was a shock, definitely a shock, because um, basically the way that I kind of got out of the Navy was like, hey, uh, two weeks, you're going to process out. And I was like, oh, all right, two weeks, I'm processing out. So it gave me two weeks to plan my entire life <laughs> outside of the Navy. Um, so it was kind of shocking um, and all of those all those instincts. But like I was uh, like I was telling Chris, I basically went from, you know, last time Chris ever saw me in person, I was a bachelor, no kids, and I have a 10-year-old boy, a seven-year-old boy, and a two-year-old daughter now. Um, so the boys were my wife's before I met my wife now, um, but we had our daughter back in 2021 in March. Um, so that's my only like blood child, but yeah, going from no kids to three was a <laughs> change in life, complete lifestyle change, um, completely. And I think that was a big part of like, it was, I think I was only out for a year when her and I got together and as much as I can talk about a lot of resources that I used, I got very lucky with uh, a wife that understood mental health and the things that come with that. Um, she had a father who was, who had gone to Afghanistan and stuff and came back. And unfortunately, he has been in and out of jail. He hasn't been able to uh, deal with like the PTSD issues that he has and stuff like that. Um, so he kind of hasn't really been around. Um, and so I'd say the big thing with that was like, she sees the opposite with me where I'm like, Hey, I need some help. Right. Like, I don't like the way I'm feeling. I don't want to feel this way. Like this sucks. No one wants to feel this way. And so I've always been like reaching out for things. Um, now when I did get out, I was very lucky, kind of had a pretty good support system, like locally. Um, I'm not from Washington state at all. My family is all in Indiana, but I got lucky in the fact that my brother did 15 years in the air force and he was stationed out here where I live now in Spokane, Washington. Um, so he worked at the SEER base here. He was like a, a paramedic for the SEER school and stuff. And then my brother-in-law was an MA in Everett. So I got very lucky that family was right here. Um, so I lived with my sister for a little bit when I first got out. And then I ended up moving out here to Spokane, which is kind of like where I started the veteran life, I guess you could say, like trying to reintegrate myself. Um, so originally I was going to go to school to be start nursing degree because I was like, hey, you know, I've always kind of like had the helping instinct. Like I like, okay, like I, I wouldn't mind helping people the rest of my life. I have a GI bill that's gonna pay for my school. Like why not use it? 
Um, so I started like a couple courses, but that was all I really took was a couple courses. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can do the school. I don't know if I can do online school. That was my struggle. Online school. I didn't know if it was a thing for me. Um, but I would say that that online school not working out for me actually worked out in my favor. Um, so I turned around and I uh, signed up here at the local community college and I got my EMT. So I did an accelerated course. It was like a two and a half month course. And then I passed my inner EMT first time up and uh, I was hired within like two weeks and started working as an EMT right at the beginning of COVID. Rough time to start being an EMT, but it was a, it was like a wake up call too to the whole world, right? Like I, I can talk about so many veterans I, I ran calls on that, you know, were homeless. Like it was sad, you know, you're like, man, like I want to help you more, but I just can't, you know, like I'm an EMT and I can take you to the hospital and that's like it. Uh, but you met a lot of veterans who, you know, are homeless. And that was honestly like a shock to me because I know it's true. Everybody knows it's true. They know it's a thing, but seeing it in person in the mass amount that I'm seeing it in here. And I can only assume a lot of them, you know, get out of the military here or they get out of the military on the West side. And this is just where they end up and they don't have anything else. Um, I'm sure some of them unfortunately had some dishonorable discharges. And yeah, that, that, that really sets you up for a hard life, like very, very hard. Um, so like a lot of that stuff was like wake up calls, kind of like shockers to me, but kind of like put me, put it in perspective of like, all right, man, you can work your butt off to get better and be a better person, understand things better, or there's a really bad route you can go down. That's not going to be enjoyable. Um, so like I've been going to the VA for four years. I've been out for four years now. I got out in Jan or February of 19. Um, I've been going to the VA here locally. I know people have a lot of problems with some of the VAs, but I guess I'll say I'm lucky. I've got a, a a nurse practitioner named Tracy, and she's been with me for four years. She's awesome. I go to her every three months, and we go into like I have to go to their like PTSD unit and and do my psych stuff every three months. But like she's she's been awesome, honestly. Like she just listens, lets me talk as much as I want. If I need to get in anytime, I can call her. She'll just fit me in. Like if I need to go earlier than three months. So I've been using that a lot. But what I can say is it hasn't always been that easy. So while I was in EMT school, it's basically when I had my veteran mental break. So I was in EMT school and one day I just could not get suicide out of my head. I could not, I was like, man, like this, like screw it. Like, I don't wanna do this anymore, life sucks. Like, it's just, I couldn't stop doing it. Now, I will also say that that time is when the VA started me on some medication. So part of the medication might've been a slight issue to it or accelerant to the thoughts or whatever, but I, I guess at that point in time is when I chose life. So I drove myself to the hospital. I literally drove straight downtown, walked in the emergency room, was just like, look, I need to go check into the mental ward. Like I want to kill myself, but I don't want to die. You know, I went and checked myself in and I spent three days in there. Um, and honestly, that was like the biggest changing point. I went in there, I spent three days in there, was able to like get my head clear, like no phone, no outside communication besides like, I mean, they had football on the TV. So that was nice, but no outside communication. It was like, hey, it's you, think about everything you're in a safe environment to do it. And honestly, I think it set me up for the success that I've had since. Um, now, currently I'm not working. I'm doing a full bachelor's right now on Purdue University. I'm doing a cybersecurity bachelor's. Um, so I can go into that. Um, I'm still like two years out. So it kind of sucks a little ways away. The thing that I would say for people that are not out yet is take advantage of Twish's assistant or assistance. Cause man, do I wish I took advantage and was ahead of the game before starting school. Because um, now I have used enough of my GI Bill that I will run out a year early, but I qualify for the STEM extension. So I'm going to apply for the STEM extension to get an extra 12 months. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I've been looking at like internships and I'm going to shoot for the stars. I'm applying for the FBI internship that they have uh, next summer. That's basically if I can do good on that, then I'm kind of a shoe in to kind of get myself into that type of agency, um, which I feel like will be good for me. Because um, I definitely will say that after leaving the military, the feeling of like, I guess the feeling working in another place is just not the same, like at all. Like compared to going into work in the Navy, we are like, oh, what's up, dude? You know, it's just like another day. And then, you know, the real world, it's like, oh, hello, you have to be professional. Like, you know, it's like, obviously we're professional in the military, but it's like a different level of like friendship and knowing each other, especially when you like go on deployments with the guys and you're like, you've been through the crap together. So like you have that whole different relationship and it's been nice. You know, I've kept up with a lot of guys since I've gotten out. Um, 
I know that when I was getting out and I was getting separated from the military, you know, I had uh, a very bad marriage. I should not have gotten into it. Rushed the marriage, turned out to be a very bad marriage. It was not good at all. Um, and there were some things, made some accusations and stuff. And so the Navy had me going to some counseling and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I didn't complete the counseling in their time limit. So they deemed me a failure of treatment. Now, I always had an honorable career, never got in trouble. So I kept everything, full honorable discharge. I didn't lose anything because I never did anything wrong. My biggest thing in life in the military was like, I will not lose honorable discharge. Like, absolutely not, because that really hurts for the rest of your life. So I got very lucky in that. Um, being separated, like it was a year early. I already planned on separating, but I, I had another year on the contract and it was a whole year early. So as much as that sucked, I guess it was a blessing. I got to start the civilian side a little faster. Um, now I'll say for people, you know, looking for like the disability side, the DAV was incredible for me. Like uh, the lady I worked with at the DAV, she knew everything she was doing. She could tell you every step walk you right through it, had me get like my medical records to her. And then she walked me through what she was doing with my medical records, what she was sending, what statements she was writing, et cetera. And so I've been through the whole disability process um, and stuff like that. And it can be a little terrifying for people, honestly, because it is a lot. I mean, it is like, be here at this time, be here this time. And it's not like close, you know, you got to drive an hour, hour and a half to get to some stuff, but you have to go. Um, and so all of that stuff can be a little like terrifying. I highly recommend veterans at least give it the shot, right? Like, give it the shot. If you've gotten out with an honorable discharge, you've earned whatever they say that you've earned. You know, listen to them, let them tell you, hey, I see this in your record. Is this still affecting you? Yes. All right. Let's talk about it and let them tell you about it. Um, I've been very fortunate to have the rating I have, and it's helped me out a ton because I do use the VA for 100% of my healthcare here. I think the hospital here, it's a, uh, like Grand Staff, I think, or something here in Spokane is the name of it. And it's an incredible hospital. I do everything, my general health there, um, get all my labs done there. All my mental health stuff has been there the entire time. That's uh, probably a big reason why I'm buying a house here because I don't feel like changing all that. It's worked out great. So I don't wanna, I don't wanna, you know, move away from it and have to switch up or anything and then not get someone as good as I have now. Um, I'm kind of rambling though. So if we have any questions, I guess I'll answer them, but I just started talking. Oh, no, man, you're doing great. You know, one thing that you mentioned is how you're about to run out of your GI Bill. There's so many different programs out there. There's grants, there's Yellow Ribbon, depending on what state you're in or what facility you're going to that has, uh, that has extra education benefits. There's the VRE, which a lot of people are not very aware of that the VA has a whole entire different program that will take your disability into account and actually fund your college or whatever is required to get you into a certain job. So there's always yeah. opportunities like that. I actually had no idea that was a thing either. I go to the VA all the time. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, the STEM extension, I didn't even know about too until my brother-in-law was like, yeah, you can extend with a STEM. He was like, you qualify, you're doing a, you know, computer IT degree. So, so yeah, that's the only thing I knew about, honestly, the STEM extension. But Yeah, and there's so many things out there. And the problem is, is a lot of us, we don't find out about it until usually when it's too late for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then that's like the tuitions assistance. I knew I knew it was there the whole time and I could use it. But for some reason, I was like, oh, you can't do online school and work like this. No way. You'll be too busy. And I'm doing it right now with three kids. So it's like I could have done it. I really could have done it the whole time I was in. But something I definitely look back and that's like a big regret I have is not using all the tuitions assistance I could have used. I, w I want you to walk us through what was your last days in the Navy like? All right. Uh, a lot of paperwork. For one so i got like you know the whole checklist of like you got to go here 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 um i'll definitely say the two-week phone call was like all right like i have a lot of stuff to do in two weeks <laughs> i was like okay uh now i was very lucky the group i worked with at frc northwest i had a very awesome chief and lp over there too that were like hey you got two weeks man come check in in the morning and you just go do whatever you gotta do all day like take care of whatever you gotta take care of because they knew two weeks was not a lot of time to plan your life <laughs> what you're gonna do um, so, I mean, I did a lot of like 
I mean, I talked to my family a lot trying to figure out like, okay, I want to go to college and do this, like, you know, to be able to survive, I probably need to go to school right away so I can use a GI Bill and at least have income. You know, they have, uh, I know TAPS talks about it. You know, I did use the unemployment. I was like, all right, you know, like TAPS, <laughs> TAPS says to use it. So I'm like, I'm just using it, right? Like I need finances to be able to make this uh, transition. Uh, so I highly suggest everyone takes care of their, takes advantage of the unemployment, especially in Washington state, because it's like one of the highest in the entire country. So you'll definitely get like your money's worth out of it. Um, but I would say like, it was outside of planning things. It was just like, all right, what paperwork do I need to get together? Like I, I tried to make sure I still have it to this day. I have a giant accordion folder that just has all of my military paperwork in it, DD-214. And it's like four copies of it because I'm not risking losing it. So I have a bunch of copies and different, you know, files. Um, I got like all the medical records stuff taken care of. And the medical records were a pain. I'll, I'll say that for anybody. I know you might already know about it, but it's like, it takes them a while. <laughs> you have to give yourself a day or so, uh, give them the paperwork and come back two days later type of thing and make sure that it's all there. But I definitely would say the biggest thing I was doing the whole time was just like, okay, step one, I'm going to be out of the military in two weeks. Step two, where am I living? Um, now I was lucky. I had a roommate at that time. So I stayed for like an extra month after I got out and then I moved out to my sister's house. But then even then it was like, all right, well, she's moving in two months. What am I doing then? <laughs> and so there's a lot, a lot of planning. It was really just trying to figure out like, hey, what is the next step and what can you, what, I guess, what programs could you take advantage to get to that next step? So, I mean, I was at Everett Community College taking like placement tests, like trying to get myself set up to do things. That way I was like prepared to go straight into classes or anything like that, which all of those plans changed right when I got out, of course. So like none of that happened. I ended up moving to Spokane, of course, but it's worked out somewhat extent you know still here <laughs> so it has and you keep on fighting and you keep on going forward which is a great thing now if you can talk more for our listeners right mm -hmm. on you kind of talked a little bit about mental health and how it hit you and how it smacked you right i can totally relate to you when it comes to that, so I've been in for now 21, right? And it was actually my first command. I had a, a lot of things, crazy things that happened, right? So that started a chain of events that no matter what I did, how much I thought, I didn't think, want to think about it or whatever, you always have those suicidal ideations right and then from there um you think you have them all handled you're all taken care of and you're all good to go and then you move forward and you push forward right but then as you you mentioned during your transition for some reason it just resurfaces and it resurfaces with the vengeance yeah and it like punches you in the face and it says hey i'm you know, you had your chance. Now I'm going to take care of you. You know what I mean? Um, can you talk about more, a little bit more about your experience when it comes to that? Or what made you finally feel like someone could help you out and it was, you weren't not alone in that process? Uh, yeah. Uh, starting off where you talked about your first command, right? That's, that's, that's literally where my issues began too. So, I mean, I don't know how many people remember 2014, the Seoul Ferry sinking. We were first responding ship to that for the U.S. Navy. So like that has messed with me my entire life since, you know, 296 people dead, 291 of them were kids. So that stuff has sucked for like a long time. You know, just a year ago, another diver killed himself because he couldn't deal with it still. And so like a year ago, yeah, I had a big trigger a year ago, you know, where I was just like, man, like, you know, I called my therapist lady, my nurse practitioner. And I was just like, man, like I am scared because is that what's going to happen to me now? Am I going to end up being like that? Because I just can't handle it. Um, and so honestly, I'll say being open was probably the best thing for me. Like my family had no idea for five or six years I was in that I had any problems with anything, you know? And then on top of that, when we got to Whidbey Island, like right outside our hangar that the cockpit imploded with the pilot and, and the co-pilot of the weapons officer in it, the guy that became our commanding officer while Chris was still there, you know? So 
that stuff was like wild, you know, like stuff that I was like, I'm lazy. I'm not going to ever deal with anything too crazy. You know, I'm just going to do my job. And it's like, boom, wake up call. You're going to deal with everything. Like, it doesn't matter who you are in the military. It's going to happen. Uh, so like that stuff was wild. Um, you know, when I was in Japan, we had a guy, you know, I literally, you could hear him smack the concrete from eight floors up in the barracks. Um, we had a guy that was on watch with a shotgun, shot himself in the face while he was on watch. Um, and then on my own boat, we actually all had to be, you know, put into our offices and not leave them because a guy hung himself down in the engine rooms while he was on watch the night before. So they had to do a whole, you know, NCIS came, did a whole investigation. The ship was like shut down. We're just like stuck in our offices. I think it was like six hours. I mean, we couldn't even leave for lunch. The hangar was completely shut down. So like stuff like that, like it's little things that you think about, right? Like at the time, I'm like, man, that sucks that that guy killed himself. I didn't really know him. I've seen him. I didn't really know him. But then you get out and it's like, man, like, why did he kill himself? You know, like, and then you kind of start to, I guess, have the feelings where you're like, man, am I ever going to have this camaraderie again? Like, am I ever going to talk to so-and-so again? Like, this sucks. Like, you kind of feel alone. Like, you're not necessarily alone, right? You've got like a family. You've got like a brother or sister or whatever. Um, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever you are, right? You've got somebody, but it feels so alone to go from 250 friends in your squadron to it's you. They're still going to work every day and you're just over here uh, kind of by yourself. And so I'll say that my support system was very lucky, but at the same time, I was very open. Like I just talked about the problems. Like when I, when I got my nurse practitioner, I just let her know everything right off the bat. And I was like, this is the things I struggle with. I don't think I'm ever going to stop struggling with this, but I would like to, you know, attack it head on because, you know, try to figure this out. And, you know, it's like little things, right? Like I, I was, uh, I was actually the two man team on the boat on the bottom of Shard, the surf team that would go up to the Atwo, protect the Atwo, you know, if the boat was under attack type of thing. Uh, and so little things like that, that I didn't even know were PTSD were like, you know, I, I go into a restaurant, it's like, I'm looking at every single person, checking like their hips, like, you know, like looking at everything to make sure I know where every person's at, where, you know, when I'm sitting, you know, I have to sit where I see the door because <laughs> I want to see whoever comes in the restaurant. Um, so it's like little things like that, that I've like dealt with that I, I've been helped to understand better on like why I'm doing this, why I'm feeling this way, you know, why I look at people this way, even though I don't mean to have, you know, I have an RBF and I don't even mean to, you know, I'm just like looking at people, but like my facial expression is like, I'm mad at you. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm just looking. Uh, so like things like that, you know, I've just, I think when I was working as EMT, I had a paramedic who was a former Marine who had gone overseas and done his stuff and come back home. I think that honestly was one of the biggest helpers I had because him and I got along so well, just both being veterans. And it was like, being back at work in the Navy again, you know, like we were BSing, calling each other names, just messing with each other, you know, like the normal stuff that you would do in the Navy when you're just having fun with your buddies. So like that stuff you helped know, a lot. You know, you mentioned him earlier today and Fernando Arroyo, when we started doing this podcast, that's, he was one of those people to me. Yeah. Yeah, it helped a lot. I mean, and I, he, he's still on my Facebook to this day. And, and we talk every so often, you know, he had a kid like right after I had my daughter and that's his first blood kid too, you know, and he's probably six, seven years older than me You know, I'm 29. So he's in his thirties. Um, and, you know, he, that was a great guy to work with. I mean, we, we can literally talk to each other for hours because it was almost like the world was like, Oh, two veterans on an ambulance. You're getting the shit every night like I worked the night shift and so if you could just imagine night shift in EMS I mean it is drunk drivers rolling their cars 15 times I mean all kinds of stuff you know and I have my own like PTSD from that like you know my first ever cardiac arrest you know was a guy that crashed his car into a side of a building and I can tell you to this day the sound of him taking his last breath as I was checking his pulse in the car and then we slid him out on the backboard and started working him on the sidewalk so like I've done a lot of really crazy stuff after I got out which probably wasn't the best for the mental health side um but at the same time, you know, like I had those people that I did save and like that stuff meant a lot to me where I was like, man, I did get to actually help that person. Um, but I've had like a couple calls where like, you know, I, we had this lady, we were sitting outside of a nursing home, you know, we were getting ready to go back in service and the dispatcher came on. It's just like, Hey, are you guys available? Because someone's, you know, dying inside. It's cardiac arrest inside the building you just walked out of. So we like walked right back in. And I mean, 
we worked that lady for 44 minutes, like compressions rotating. So here in Spokane, we have this crazy thing. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it. It's called pit crew CPR. So it's not two man CPR, it's eight man. So you have person breathing, person doing compressions and the, ro the compressions rotate out. You have somebody on like the femoral pulse in the leg. You have somebody drilling IO in their, in their bone to get them fluids. And then you've got somebody counting and then you've got somebody who's watching the monitor the whole time. I don't know if that was eight, but it's a lot of people. It's not like your average. And so we have like, you know, some of the highest survival rates for cardiac arrest and CPR here because it's a whole system that they run. Um, so like we're working this lady for 44 minutes and, you know, I'm on the phone with the medical uh, doctor at the hospital because we're about to call it. You know, we work people for 45 minutes and that's about where we're at because we couldn't get a shockable rhythm. And then she threw a shockable rhythm at the last second. She threw a shockable rhythm. And so the fire paramedic was like, hey. I know we haven't got her yet, but let's shock her and see what happens. And we shocked her. Heart rate came right back. You could see it. I think it was the coolest thing ever. And as weird as it is, you could see her heart bumping in her chest. And I was like, oh man, like it's going by itself. Like, here we go. And then that's when we start a timer. So you have a 10 minute timer and you're dripping dopamine. And it's a 10 minute timer to see if she can keep her heartbeat on her own for 10 minutes with dopamine. And then we transport if that's the case. So she kept it for 10 minutes. And this was probably like one of the wildest calls I had. You know, we ran her out to the ambulance. We've got two firefighters, my paramedic in the back, and I'm running full code, like 25 minutes north of the hospital, just flying through town to get this lady in. And she crashed, you know, like five blocks down the road crashes. So the entire time I'm driving in, you know, like my ambulance is bumping everywhere because, the, the you know, the firefighters doing compressions the whole way in. Um, and I think that call always bothers me because we knew that her daughter was on the way to the hospital and we couldn't keep her alive. So we got to the hospital and I, I'll say it's a movie scene. It's the best way to describe it. You know, I was on top of the stretcher, like they're pushing her into the trauma room and I'm still pressing, you know, we're like still pumping, trying to keep her heart and her blood going as we're getting her to the table and she just never came back. So like that thing's always bothered me, but I think things that have helped me and stuff like that is like, you know, like we did all we could. I mean, we literally did everything we could. I mean, we hit her with probably six pens of Epi, you know, like everything you could do to try to get someone, you know, back going. Um, but then, you know, we've had, I've had, you know, a couple of veterans die and unfortunately there were, you know, I guess not unfortunately, luckily they were much older, you know, like in nursing homes and stuff. So they live life, but like, it does suck when you go into someone's house and you see all their stuff and you're like, dang, you know, like couldn't, couldn't save you. But I would say, you know, that stuff sticks with you a lot. Um, and it's never going to go away, but I think the most important thing for like veterans to kind of sit back and kind of think for a second is like hey when you were in the crap and you were in the crap and you were just like what is going on you know like how are we doing this what the heck is happening you figured it out right like you figured it out in that moment in the military you were like okay we got to do this okay we're going to do this or we're going to do that and so i think a big thing is like trying to keep that mindset on the outside where it's like okay i'm feeling like this what can i do to make this feel better what what can happen that's going to make me not necessarily feel so bad about this? Who can I talk to? What can I do? Um, and so I feel like that's kind of where I was at. Like, I was just like, hey, like, especially when I was working in the EMS, it was like, look, you're doing the, the job to your best ability. There's nothing you can do. You know, if somebody passes away, it is what it is. You know, I've, I've seen the crap, you know, like no helmet motorcycles into a ditch type of like incidents. And so I, I will say I'm very lucky. I never had a child cardiac arrest or anything like that to deal with. Very, very lucky. My wife has. So my wife is an EMT still. She's been an EMT since I became one. Um, she's seen a lot of crap. You know, she's got her own her own demons. She's finally admitted that she has some PTSD issues. So she's been starting to work through those. Um, but I also think that that's part of what helps me so much is my wife understands mental health big time. It's been a big thing for her. She understands it and she can't stand it when people don't understand the type of thing like how do you not understand that somebody's going through a bunch of crap in their head and they can't really explain it to you right <laughs> like how do you not get that type of thing so it's been very helpful she listens you know like a year ago when i had a real bad time and the diver killed himself like she dropped everything was like let's talk sit down and talk like you're gonna sit and talk to me because yes i am a gun owner but i'm not stupid with them and so she always makes sure that my head is straight you know for stuff like that and so I think that's been like the biggest help, honestly, is just reaching out. Like you just got to reach out and talk. That's all it is. Just reach out and talk to someone. I promise it gets better. Like it will get better, but you just got to talk. Not talking about it, it's just going to boil and boil and boil and never stop. So that's my biggest thing huh? to that question, just talking about it. Making sure people yeah, know that you have the problem so that way when you're really in the crap in your head, 
they know where you're at. They understand like, okay, he's got this problem. This is how we're going to help him. What resources did you uh, find <clears throat> as soon as you transitioned out? Right, you said you didn't start your stuff until you ended up in Spokane. You didn't start reintegrating. Well, what resources outside of the VA did you find helped you in your reintegration process? Yeah, they, uh, so I went to Spokane Community College and they had a um, like veteran office kind of thing. So I went through like their veteran person when it came to getting signed up for school and getting everything situated. And like that was super helpful for me. They literally laid it out because I was like, look, I've never gone to college. Now I'm going to go to college in person. I haven't been to school in you know, almost 10 years at this point. I have no idea how to make myself learn. I don't know. Like I was not a great high school student at all. Brandon, if you looked at Brandon now with like, you know, I've got like a 3.8 GPA in college. If you look at me now at <laughs> the high school, you'd be like, what happened? Because Brandon barely graduated high school, but I did. Got my diploma. I got out of there. Um, and that I think that office helped me a lot. And then on top of that, I met a ton of veterans in the class alone. And so it was really nice when I met veterans. We had I had a Marine veteran, an Air Force veteran, another Navy veteran, and a Coast Guard veteran, all in the same EMT class. So we were all in the same class for three months together. And I think that was honestly super helpful, finding other veterans that have just general, the same kind of, I guess, way they go about life in general. Because everybody kind of, you know, you learn the same ways, whatever the branch is in boot camp of like, you're going to do this this way, you're going to do this this way, right? Like everybody kind of has that mentality when you do it for so many years. Like making my bed. My wife will never understand why, but I, I got to make the bed. I hate it when it's not made. It drives me nuts. <laughs> like it's got to be made. It needs to be nice and orderly. <laughs> like I can't have it just messy. Um, and it's just like little things like that, but it was nice meeting the guys like that because you now we would go out and have a beer and it was just telling stories, talking about the crap we had to deal with and stuff we went through and the crazy stories of boot camp. you know, like I'll never forget my chief, you know, dunking a recruit's head in the trash can because he thought he was going to throw up because he was stuttering because he was nervous like stuff like that like I just laugh about now where I'm like man at the time I was like whoo this chief is going to mess me up but now I'm like now nah, I get it you know I get it you got to transition somehow you can't just treat them nicely I guess the whole time and then they're like oh yeah this is this is nice no we're in the military like this is war fighting this isn't like go to Walmart and work right like you are to be ready at all times um, and I guess I have that same mentality in life right now, 24-7. Like, I'm just, like, always ready. I, I can't stop being places 15 minutes early. That never changes. I'm always early. And my wife's like, why are we so early? I'm like, we'll just wait in the car. But we're here. We're not late. So, like, that's the thing. Uh, but I, th I definitely think meeting veterans is, like, a huge thing. Uh, like, my brother-in-law, he, he kind of did the same thing when he got out. And he's been a part of the um, – I honestly can't remember. I think it's like the combat vets, like biker group kind of thing. So they go and they help, you know, uh, organizations and stuff. So he was an FMF corpsman and then went MA after. Um, and so he's kind of been to the crap. He's had his own demons. You know, he had, you know, a little bit of an alcohol problem for a little while, for example, right? But he went clean on that. And that has helped him tremendously on mental health, like not using a substance to try to get rid of any thoughts or problems that he's having. Um, so I just definitely think like talking to other veterans is probably like the biggest thing for me because it was like, oh my God, someone like me, like you are just like me, you know, no offense to civilians in general, but you know, like just got a little thicker skin when you're in the military compared to not in the military. You, know, you can take the jokes, you can take like the random, you know, crap that's given to you um, compared to kind of, I guess, being offended when someone messes with you, um, I guess is the word to use, but it was great. I think outside of like the community college itself, um, when I did get hired at AMR, it was another network of veterans. I honestly, I, I knew veterans worked in EMS. I didn't know the extent of how many um, worked in EMS. And I could say that probably half that company was veterans. And so it was nice to work with multiple of them. And it was like, you know, being back at work in the military, every time you worked with them, you're just, you know, you're talking crap the whole time and joking and dispatch says the wrong thing and you're laughing at dispatch and you're just you know doing your job and so that stuff was great that stuff really helped me like be like okay like there are people like me out here but you kind of got to find them you know that, that they're going to understand more about the way that you act and the way that you are so I definitely would say like meeting new people like meeting other veterans even if it's just like you meet a veteran for a round of golf or something right or some putt putt you know it's just time to get whatever off your chest and somebody who's going to really understand
what you're talking about. You know, and then they'll relay their own stuff back to you. You guys get to just like, you know, talk it out, like whatever crap you've been dealing with. You're like, man, I can't believe this or I can't believe that. And they're just going to sit there and listen. Like, I think that's the thing about us veterans. We will listen. Like, we'll just be like, all right, whatever you need to say. And that's like the big thing with, you know, this this podcast is like, you know, at the end, I'll, I'll, I'll give out the my email address. I won't give out my phone number right away. But like, if people want to email me, I'll give you my number, you know, after you email me and we can talk about whatever. You know, I know you're on the west side of the state. Now I'm on the east side. So if anyone's over here, North Idaho, whatever. I mean, I live 30 minutes from the North Idaho border. So, you know, I'm all over here for anyone that was in this area. You know, if they want to get a beer, I don't drink, but I'll go have some water. <laughs> you know, I'll go hang out with That's great, man. And thanks for sharing. That is one of the most important resources is connecting with other veterans, other people that have been through not necessarily, I don't want to say shared trauma, but <clears throat> been through the shared experience of we've all been through basic training. We've all had to serve our country and provide sacrifices. You know, we've all had to do that. And so whenever veterans are talking with other veterans, it's just, we click right away because we know that we've all signed up, signed the same form. We all sign at risk of our life uh, and also relationships and our time. Um, the same contract, right? So, no, that's great, man. I, I love that. Um, before we move on to the save rounds and alibis, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Uh, let's see. I got my notes. Let's see if I got anything here I missed on. I guess, like, one of the things I really want to talk about, too, is, like, just, I guess, want other veterans to understand that, or not understand, but, like, kind of know that, like, if you got a crazy goal in life, just go for it. I'm going for the FBI and I'm just Brandon. <laughs> like, you know, I've never worked in law enforcement or anything, but like, I know that like, I want to go to the FBI and work cyber crimes. So that way I can, you know, work through all of that stuff. I want to do IT stuff for them so I can do facial recognition when they're doing these crazy cases and like help them out because I don't know, I don't want to be the small fish. I want to work with the big fish, get the big crimes and help out with the big things that are going on. And so, I guess for other veterans, it's like the world needs veterans to be in these positions in reality. Like we've, we all know how to work under the stress. And that's like the biggest thing we get taught in the military is like, hey, you're under a lot of stress right now, but you have got to do this job no matter what, because it's that important to this whole mission. You know, as an AZ, it was like, you know, everybody gives us crap all the time. Like, oh, bro, you got a paper cut? Oh no, man, you're bleeding out. And I don't like all kinds of crap. Like, oh, I got all kinds of shit on the boat, nonstop. Um, but at the same time, like shit hits the fan. I'm on the firefighting team and, you know, in hotel one, like I'm, I'm straight fighting fires. It doesn't matter what your job is. You're in the Navy. Like you've got a job to do no matter what, you know, I was an AZ who, you know, when we were, we were getting the big Navy inspection on our security stuff on the boat. I was the guy on the main team for the main part of the inspection. I was the team leader and I'm an AZ, you know, so it doesn't matter what your rate was or anything. As a veteran in the civilian world, they're going to see veteran and be like, all right, like, you know how to get the job done. You know how to do it right. Like, that's the big, big thing. Of course, there are people in the military that obviously aren't, weren't meant to probably join the military, which uh, it happens. We all know them. It happens. But part of them still got taught how to do something they didn't know how to do before on the civilian side. And then it'll stick with them the rest of their life. I just think veterans should always, if you don't feel like you have a place somewhere, you do no matter what, like there is a job there. You know, I, I got hired at AMR so fast because they were a veteran preference company. And as a veteran, I automatically got a little bit of a preference. And a couple of the guys I went to EMS T school with actually got hired at the exact same time for the same reasoning, because they had that. They have, I guess, I don't know how to explain things like that. You guys understand it though, but they have like quotas where it's like, hey, if we get veteran applications, like we're automatically pulling them in because we're gonna hire this many veterans no matter what a year to make sure we're giving them jobs. And so like that, there's a lot of jobs with that type of preference. And I really hope that veterans are, are taking advantage of some of that and being like, hey, you know, I could do this job really well. And it says that there's a veteran preference. If, for example, I've, I've looked into the ATF. You know, it's the last year that they're hiring without a bachelor's degree. So I've been taking a really hard look on applying to the ATF. And 
um, based off of like disability ratings. They give you extra points when it comes to the hiring process in the ATF. And then they also give you veteran preference. They have jobs that are quite literally labeled veteran preferred on the listing. And so, you know, for a veteran who had a security clearance, you know, getting yourself to that top secret isn't going to be as difficult as a civilian who's never had a clearance in their entire life. So that preference really helps you out, especially if you've got the clearance and you can really get into some cool positions and do some really cool stuff, you know, in these jobs around here. But yeah, I definitely think that veterans, you know, I want them to be able to understand that it might not be your biggest dream job ever, but there's a job that needs you. They want the veteran to work in that position. That's some great points, man. And you, you covered a lot of great stuff in here. So I appreciate you uh, talking to these these points, Brandon, and sharing your testimony. We're gonna we're gonna slide into the saved rounds and alibis. So first question that we got in the saved round and alibi is what book or podcast has helped you on your journey? I don't even know if it's a podcast name, honestly, but I'm unfortunately a user of TikTok, so you can judge me if we want. It's fine. But there are some really, really good TikTok pages on there for veterans. And I've come across a bunch of them, you know, where, you know, I, I watched a veteran go from literally being an alcoholic, not being able to deal with his stuff that he's been clean for a hundred days now, you know, and he's getting his life back together. And he talks about it the entire time. And I think that's like so important for people to see because you're seeing this guy at his lowest and you're watching him become a person that's way better, way different than he was before, all because, you know, he he actually went and got help. He actually went and talked to a shrink himself. He talked all about it. He finally went and talked to someone. I got everything off his chest and then finally was able to realize that, like, hey, some of the things that did happen in Iraq and stuff are not your fault. You were just there to do your job. We think. Uh, so Yogi and I are sitting here uh, uh, looking, <laughs> looking at each other and typing in the chat. We, we know who you're talking about. Uh, sober-minded. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds super familiar. Yep. Yeah, sober-minded. His uh, episode's releasing in two days. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's what is it? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm up to watch that. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've, I've seen so many where the guys like, I know I've seen ones that are of course sponsored by like, you know, the Till Valhalla project and stuff, and they just do great work. I mean, they really sit there and get deep on like, you know, the guys just telling their stories and talking about exactly what happened and like what messed them up and how they feel about it now, how they were able to kind of not necessarily get over it, but be able to live with it and understand it at the same time so yeah i mean you guys knew what i'm talking about and stuff but like that stuff is so I've, I've watched it for well over a year i've been watching these videos randomly when they pop up and some of them have honestly like hit home and you watch it and you're like all right i actually kind of feel this way and i understand now a little better and i'm not the only one that feels this way like i could talk to somebody else who also feels this exact same way as me and I think that's honestly like the biggest help you could get is having someone that understands and that can talk to you about it. All right, Brandon, before I go to my question, I want you to write this down for you and for your wife. Okay. It's called Make Your Bed by Admiral William H. McRaven. Okay, I got it by Admiral. What's it? Uh, William H. McRaven. Okay. Okay, got that, it. That will give a different perspective on why you make your bed. You might not understand why you <laughs> have been doing it, and I'm serious. Yeah, it, no, I love huge. it, though. I love that because it's like, okay. Dude, this is going to blow your mind. But it, And it's a really quick read, really easy, really simple, but it's phenomenal. But now on to my questions. All right, you ready? I'm ready. What advice would you give your 17 18 year old self prior to joining the military what advice would you give yourself before you got out of the military okay yeah so my younger self i would definitely like i, like I talked about a little bit earlier i would definitely be like hey man take advantage of the education while you're in like it's such a big thing to you know when i was in i was like oh I'll get to it. I'll, I'll get to it. And then I never got to it. So it really, I guess, hurt in that sense, right? 
where it was like, hey, you could really be ahead of the game when you do get out. Um, and I think the other things I, I would tell my younger self is just like, hey, man, you know, uh, you're going to deal with a lot of crap in the military, but understand that it's for a reason. You know, not everything, you know, I, I got in like a dine and dash in Malaysia, but I didn't get in like trouble, trouble because I went and paid the bill. I was a little drunk, a young sailor. I went and paid the bill the next morning. The lady was perfectly cool with it, right? She was like, I understand you were drunk. And she's like an Australian lady, super nice. Of course, like, you know, the Navy, like I understand it now, needed to teach me a lesson on the fact that that could have been a lot worse if we were like, for example, in Hong Kong, I would be in jail. They wouldn't be able to do anything, you know, like, or getting hit on the street with whips or sticks or whatever they have, all the crazy rules they do. Um, so, you know, I went through that and, you know, shout out to Master Chief Vincent. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of him, but that was my Master Chief when I got to the boat and he chewed me out in the DRB. I mean, he wrecked my life, like made me feel like I was the smallest piece of sand on the beach and I was nothing. But it was like, 10 minutes after he pulled me aside and was just like, listen, man, I did that because I have to. He was like, but understand that we've all messed up at some point in our naval career, but it's about what you're going to do after now. What are you going to do the rest of your time now? Are you going to keep messing up? Or are you going to do better? And I never got in trouble since then. Like never. I was like, you know what? Absolutely not going to lose rank or nothing. Not worth it. Um, and so it was like to my younger self, I would be like, look, you're going to learn a lot of hard lessons. You're going to be young. You're going to be dumb. You're an airman in the, you know, I went to Japan, literally turned 20, <laughs> two weeks before I went, got to Japan. So, you know, you get to Japan, it's like, you can drink at 20. So it was like, okay, well, this is interesting. Um, so that was like a big thing for me because I was young and dumb. Nowadays, I don't drink at all because I feel like I drank so much when I was young. I was like, I have zero appetite to even feel tipsy. I have no reason to want to feel it. Like, I don't care for it. Um, then telling myself like getting out if I could tell myself to basically st stick to school I would have stuck to school you know if I could have already had my bachelor's done you know, I've been out four years if I had just gone to school right away and kind of just pushed myself to do it you know I could already been graduated and working the job that I really want to work um so I would definitely like tell myself like hey man like <laughs> it's gonna be rough when you get out it's gonna suck you're gonna feel like you're nothing because you know when you're in the military, you feel like you've got like a purpose, right? Like you're like, I'm in the military, right? Like I'm going to go to work every day. You know, I could get a call tomorrow that we're going to war. And guess what? Like, that's what I signed up for. It's what I'm here to do. You know, you don't think about it. I, I know a lot of people in the military, you, you come to terms with the fact that like, I might die on this job, but you know what? Like I joined the military, nobody else made me do this. And so you kind of like things like that. Chinese submarines, they'll do that to you in the ocean. Let me tell you, these guys are something else. I don't, I can't tell you how many general quarters drills we had when they would just pop up out of nowhere. And it was like general quarters. And it was like, what is going on? <laughs> like I was asleep. I worked nights. It was just like terrifying for a second. But then you're also like, hey, it is what it is, right? Like this is what we do. This is our job. And so definitely would tell myself prior to getting out to like, hey, keep, you know, stay calm, keep a level head and know that like, You've got a lot of tools and assets that, like on your belt ready to go. You just have to use them and use them like the right way. And so like, yeah, I didn't use my GI Bill the right way, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to finish my degree no matter what. Like I'm, I'm like, uh, what would you call hard headed about finish my degree? I just won't quit now. Like I'm like, yeah, because I know, you know, we live in a world, unfortunately, where like having a degree is going to you know, help you significantly trying to get a job. I did do like a, I did like a three month software development course. So I'm certified for software development. Um, but not having a degree, I couldn't get hired. I mean, I was putting applications in for six months and not having a bachelor's, I couldn't even get callbacks because they want you to like, I don't know, they want you to have degrees for everything. Um, so that was my motivation to get the bachelor's. I was like, I'm gonna get the bachelor's. I'm gonna do it in cybersecurity because I have these motivations to like, my biggest motivation is I hate human trafficking. I live in a city that's like massive with human trafficking. We're like one of the top in like the country. We have a lot of Russians and Ukrainians that live here. Um, it's pretty bad. But I wanted to work in cybersecurity because that's like that's the stuff that I want to bust. I want to bust people like that and like track them down and be able to do that stuff. And so I would tell myself that like, hey man, you've got a purpose. You don't know it yet because I didn't want to be cybersecurity four years ago. You don't know it yet, but there's going to be something for you. You know, you just have to work for it a little bit, just like you had to work. I mean, you work. Uh, what was it, what we call them? Uh, what is it like night shift on VAQ 129? It's not night shift. 
it's all night shift. Okay. Cause you started like 2 PM and if the job's not done by 1 AM, you're still working. No, it doesn't matter. So, you know, there's jobs that could be stay worse. Check stay check. Yeah. Stay check. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Literally. Oh, I worked out for so long, <laughs> but like, you know, like Chris had, you know, told me when he asked me to come on here and talk about it, like my situation getting out was just so different than like 90% of people are going to get, you know, like, yeah, okay. You can technically say the Navy kicked me out, right? Fully honorably though. Like I didn't get kicked out with dishonorable. I never did anything dishonorable in my entire six years in. So I earned all my benefits, but it was like, a, you know, instead of having like three months or so where you're like, yeah, I got three months till I get out, you know, you can plan for it, da, 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 take 30 days of leave. It was like, hey man, you got two weeks, not taking any leave. That's just going to get sold back. This will be your last paycheck. Peace out. And I was like, oh, like I was walking from the dentist's office. I was walking back to my car when they called me and I was like, oh, okay, like, I guess I'm going to go plan. And, you know, like uh, I only knew Chris for so long. He was only the chief there for so long, but I think he came in to be the chief. And within like a week, I was sent to, I went over to FRC Northwest and finished out my time at FRC. But then he had to still check me out of the military. And it was super weird because, you know, they sent him with where he had to uh, escort me off the base basically, you know, for the last time. But they actually, but you know, like I said, the military kicked me out, but then they gave me an ID to use for two years for base access. He didn't have to escort me at all. They gave me a temporary, you know, a TAMP ID. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It was really weird situation. It's like the most unique and weird thing at the same time. Um, but yeah, I would just tell myself like, Hey, stay straight. There's a plan, you know, and don't get discouraged by it. Like it takes time, but it's the end result is always worth it. You know, I, I always keep in mind of my kids, right? Like I'm, I'm going for the FBI and my wife gives me crap about it sometimes because she's like an EMT and she's like, how are we going to figure this out? If you're an FBI agent and they're like, Hey, come to work. And like, she's at work. She can't come home from work on her 12 hour shifts. You know, she's in, in an ambulance in the middle of the streets. Um, but like her and I have talked about, right? I will always go for my goal because my kids are going to grow up knowing that you go for your goal. Like it doesn't matter what it is, just go for it. And like, no matter what it takes to get there, go for it. I mean, obviously don't get in legal trouble, but no matter what it takes, get to your dream. So the FBI is a long shot for Brandon, but if I can make it there, dreams come true. So <laughs> stay on the path. There's always a good ending as long as you work hard. Yeah, I remember, I remember the last day, I remember your last day in the Navy and the amount of interaction that we had with each other before, because it was a really weird situation, right? It is what it is, but I would still check up on you occasionally and see how you were doing, even though we had no interaction before you went over there because I had just checked in, but I'm not sure if you remember what I told you when you when you got out, you know, hey, like, honestly, I know these are weird circumstances, but thank you for your service. And I didn't just like kick you to the curb. No. I remember sitting down and actually <laughs> talking with you for a little bit. We sat in my car uh, and had a conversation while we were waiting for some of the PSD stuff to happen. And well, for people that don't understand, that's personnel service department. Um, I, I think that stuff was so important at the same time. And I'll, and I'll say that I got lucky and I had some great chiefs the entire time I was in. You know, my, my first chief, he made senior, senior chief Carter. Dude was great. I mean, the guy took care of us on the boat. Like he had the AZ's back, you know, when when ADC would come up trying to give us all crap, he would be like, hey, I can get my guys crap talk to me like you know he always had our backs guy would bring us like mcgriddles from the chief's mess he was cool dude like the top dog and then i had you know master chief vincent who was incredible i mean the guy i still talk to him to this day um and then my az1 at the time he's a chief now but chief judge owens he so between him master chief vincent and senior chief carter they're, I'm pretty sure they're a big reason why I kept honorable because they all three wrote me letters um, for that whole package of paperwork. Because, I mean, I worked my butt off on the boat. Like, I, I got commendation on the boat just because I was doing three jobs at once. I mean, I was doing, um, I was working TDs. I was working the, um, all of the maths and the equipment files. And then I was also 
working night shift and randomly swapping the days whenever they needed it. So I was like all over the place. Sleep was nothing for me on like the second deployment. And I always had chiefs that always had my back. And, and, and like you said, you know, like you had a conversation with me, right? You didn't just say, all right, well, they said, see you later. So good luck. You know, you're like, look, like, you're about to like do a whole new life thing here. Like know that everything you did for six years wasn't wasted. Like, you know, you didn't just waste your time for six years, you know. And then before you, I got lucky with Chief Galloway. Or C- I guess he's a master chief now, I think. Um, but he he was awesome. That guy would, uh, when I made AZ2, you know, he took me out to the bar and just got me a drink and was like, all right, you know, like, let's celebrate a little bit, you know. So, like, that stuff was really cool to have, like, the camaraderie, but at the same time have chiefs that had believed in you the entire time that you were in and helped you. And I think in the end that helped me where it was like, you know, if these guys – believed in me this whole time why can't i go do this like nothing's different about me i can go do this i mean i still have all of their letters that they wrote to this day so like i randomly will look at them if i need to where it's like all right i was pretty good in the military because i mean brandon's a little salty he didn't get an am when he was on the boat boat. because i was in charge charge of the i was literally in charge of the entire team that during um srf phases we would chop up all the decks and relay and like repaint all the layers on the ground and stuff and we repaint or we redid part of like uh the step areas on the flight deck area and stuff like that and we did that ourselves as sailors right but in the end i know that i had a team that worked their butt off and we saved the boat at two hundred and like forty thousand dollars by doing the work ourselves instead of contractors so might not have got an award for it but i know that like hey i know that i was doing the right stuff i just i guess didn't go tuba bond i don't know names are weird to me they always were weird to me when i was in some people get them for like no reason but that's okay so my last question for you is how did you get into the correct mindset to transition and reintegrate that's a good question i would say initially it was talking to my sister my sister and I were always very close. She's exactly four years older than me. So like freshman in college, I was freshman in high school. So we always had like the four-year gap. We were always like very close growing up. And I think being able to live with her and kind of, so my sister's been a nurse for the whole time too. So I think that also helped out a ton because she understands a lot about mental health and understanding that like, hey, I feel like crap too, because I saw this at work, like I get it type of stuff. And so it was being able to, explain the situations that you went through, kind of explain some of the things you dealt with and not be looked down upon on it and be like, hey, okay, like, yeah, that sucks. Here's what we can do about that. But then also she motivated the crap out of me to be like, look, like literally you're gonna be homeless or go to jail or you're gonna be successful, go to school, you know, work your butt off and and do all the stuff that you need to do. And so changing the mindset was kind of like, instead of, you know, I'm going to wake up and throw on a uniform, go to work, which is like the weirdest thing. And I'm sure that you've kind of felt it as like not putting a uniform on. You're like, this is kind of weird, you know, like I'm not going to wake up and throw my boots on today and, you know, hit the blousing straps and, and head into work. Like I'm just going to put some sweats on and hang out. You know, it's like a di- way different lifestyle than you, you expected. But at the same time, I think the biggest thing that helped me was like, you know, the conversation you had with me in general. And then like the chiefs that I had before, it was like, hey, like, like you're going to be fine. You know, like you did six years in the Navy and a lot of people can't even do four years in the military and you did six, like you will be all right. You can go through six years of, I mean, the military is not an easy job. Everybody knows that. Like you, sometimes you're working 16 hour days, like you have to, to get the job done. That's just is what it is. It's why we're the greatest war power in the world. Like we have workers, people that want to do it, want to join the military. Um, and so it's just going from I mean, I would say the toughest thing for me was going from, hey, here's your schedule. You're going to do this, 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 and all at these times to whatever you want to do at what time. I'm like, this is like, like my wife to this day will get mad at me because I'll be like, I need you to tell me the schedule for this weekend. Like, I need to know what we're doing Saturday and when we're doing it so I can plan around that. Like, I need the schedule to know what's happening so honestly a big helper to me has been i continue to schedule (laughs) like i continue to make like a schedule you know like just for today for example i had a schedule i was like all right i know i need to get my daughter down at like 6 40 so she can start falling asleep because you know i know i need to be ready by seven i have my boys squared away in their room hanging out you know i got the dogs out early so that way they don't worry about them and so 
I don't know. It's kind of a it's, a, it's a tough question, but it was, it's more of just understanding the fact that it was like, Hey, you had this lifestyle for so long and you're going to have a new one, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily need to get rid of all of the things that you've done for so long, because not all of them are bad. You know, you don't have necessarily all these bad habits. And so like, I still have a ton of habits from the military. I like washing clothes. I wash all the clothes in the house. And that's just like, I swear it's just a habit from being on the boat where it was like, had to wash my own clothes and sit there and watch it the whole time. So it was like making sure it was getting clean. And so I have to make sure the clothes get clean. Like I'm like, I'll clean it because I need to make sure they're clean. So like certain oh, things. Like we, we all know that you weren't just making sure that the clothes are clean. You just didn't want people like Yogi to steal your underwear. <laughs> the weirdest stuff would go missing on boats. Let me tell you, man, I swear I had my phone jacked like in the middle of me sleeping. I was like, what? Yeah wild times that's why I, I do joke about i do joke i make jokes all the time to this day about the navy boats from like hey people talk about stuff getting stolen in prison you get stuff stolen on a navy boat <laughs> in like two seconds <laughs> you leave the wrong pair of boots out somebody needs a new pair of boots mm -hmm. so yeah. true but yeah i don't know for mindset stuff i would say definitely like hey you know know that everything that you've done before isn't bad but know that when you start working a civilian job it will not be anywhere close to the same as what you were working in the military um but it doesn't mean that you have to be a completely different person obviously you have to be professional in your in your voice and talking and any emails etc but in the military you learn how to be very respectful in emails you know you have to learn how to, that skill of of communicating in a way of Hey, I need to get this, 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 and this done as soon as possible, please. You know, like the nicest ways possible because you are emailing, you know, I've had to email, you know, master chiefs and stuff with, with information when we were, you know, dealing with equipment coming from FRC, for example, and getting fixed and coming back to the squadron. And so I think that's a big skill set that for me that I've taken with me, you know, we, uh, my wife and I are, we closed on a house on May 25th, right? First house we ever bought together, used the VA home loan and everything, Veterans United, great company. Um, and so I've had to do a lot of correspondence with this house buying, talking to a ton of people. And I honestly, the skills from the military helped me a ton. Like I've got the email signature set up, like all that stuff where it's like, I can just type out the emails the way they need to be and bam, you know, like I've got the whole professionalism in it. And so it's definitely the fact that like you learn a lot of professional skills. So don't try to lose them because those are going to be very helpful, especially in an interview process. I hadn't had an interview since I was 16 when I got hired and I was like, this is so weird. I'm sitting in a room with just three other people and they're asking me the weirdest questions know about this job and so stuff like that of course we did the interview stuff and taps and so the stuff like that is helpful i definitely say that where it's like the resume stuff was you know the most helpful for me because i hadn't had to write a resume i didn't even think i wrote a resume when i got a job when i was 16 they just hired you to bag groceries you know it wasn't like a like a whole thing you know like you actually have to apply for jobs so I definitely would tell people to take advantage of taps so like taps was very helpful as much as it was like annoying to do the little you know the little things that they make you do and the and the acting and the interviews and, and asking people questions and you don't know any of these people you know it's just another random military guys that stuff helps a lot at the same time because without that i would have been lost on a resume like even trying to make it organized i'm pretty sure i took out the resume from taps and then built my own resume just looking at it and being able to be like okay i need this i need this and i, I mean of course, I typed out a whole long thing about, you know, your military service and stuff. You got to try to sell it. You know, you learn these skills. So take the skills you learned in the military. Don't get rid of them, but just know that the communication part has to change a little bit. You can't, you can't call someone an asshole in the morning time, you know, at the off, at the medical office, <laughs> like that's not acceptable. <laughs> so just things like that. You kind of have to change your wording, but <laughs> skills you learn are going to help you the whole time. Well, Brandon. I want to say, on behalf of Return to Roots and our listeners, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank thanks you for, for sharing having your me. experience. Thank you for being so candid and bringing a different perspective. Um, you have had a lot of experience since you left. And that's one of the things that has always baffled me the most is Oh, well, I'm getting out. I don't want to be in the military anymore. Cool. What are you going to do? I'm going to go to college. 
wait, that's your plan? Like, that's it? That, that baffles me, right? Uh, you pointed out on a couple of things, you know, knowing what you want to do, following through, staying with it, taking advantage of the classes as you're still in and stuff like that. So I appreciate you for bringing that kind of awareness because it's huge. And it would would save people a lot of time if they actually listen to you. So again, yeah. thank you for coming on the show. You're more than welcome to being part of our tribe and helping everybody out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, honestly, I was honored to be asked. So I really appreciate you know, being able to come to a platform and, and talk about it. I haven't I haven't been on any platform to talk to anybody about it or anybody about this stuff. So and, I mean, it's pretty cool, honestly. I've been like nervously shaking the whole time, but you know, that's just me and my legs, but you know, <laughs> but hey, <laughs> it's been, a, it's been a good experience. I really appreciate it. Yeah, brother. Thanks for coming on here, talking with our tribe and becoming part of the tribe. And here's, here's the thing, you know, Brandon talks about a lot of, a, a lot of important things, his time as an EMT, his time in the military and really kind of reflected on how brotherhood sisterhood is what gets us through so while you guys are transitioning you don't have to lose that we're here as a tribe so find build your tribe all right everybody exactly. it's not all rambos and unicorns out there it's your transition take charge of it Return to Roots, out.